Welcome to Black Feathers Podcast, a true and honest conversation about disabilities for all. I am your host, Dr. Crystal Hernandez from the Cherokee Nation. And I am Shauna Humphreys from Choctaw Nation. We drive toward the future with passion and purpose. We are strong because our people are strong. Regardless of the challenges we face, we will push forward toward an even brighter future. Governor Bill and Otubby, Chickasaw Nation. The Chickasaw Nation is leading mass efforts in their community in the autism and developmental disability space. I'm beyond excited to have representatives on our podcast today. Dr. Shannon Dial is the Executive Officer of Integrated Services Division with the Chickasaw Nation in the Department of Family Services. She has been with the tribe for eight years and oversees the Medical Family Therapy, Suicide Prevention Services, a five-year federal HRSA Pediatric Mental Health Care Access Grant, and Family Services Clinical Informatics Manager. Dr. Dial's largest team, Medical Family Therapy, a team of approximately 40, provides the integrated behavioral health services located in the Chickasaw Nation's Department of Health locations and provides over 20,000 mental health encounters a year. Dr. Misty Boyd is the Hofanti Chukma Youth Child Wellness Expert at the Chickasaw Nation in the Department of Health. Welcome to Black Feathers Podcast, Dr. Dial and Dr. Boyd. We are so excited to have you here and learn so much from you. I'm Dr. Misty Boyd, and I'm a child psychologist by training, but I now work in our Division of Research and Public Health at the Chickasaw Nation on a project called Hofanti Chokma, which means to grow well, where we're trying to support our communities in doing everything they can to create the kinds of environments that help kids grow up healthy and well. I'm really excited to be able to do that work and to be able to do it alongside my colleague, Dr. Dial. Thank you guys. I'm so excited to be here and have this conversation with all of you today. Uh, I'm Dr. Shannon Dial. I am an executive officer at the Chickasaw Nation. Uh, I serve uh, in the Department of Family Services, mental health services team. Under my leadership is a couple different programs, um, some of which we'll talk about today. Um, our biggest team is medical family therapy, which is an integrated behavioral health team in our medical center. Uh, also included under uh, our team is Suicide Prevention Services, Clinical Informatics, and our newest project, the Pediatric Mental Health Care Access Grant that we're talking about today. Perfect. So what could you share with other tribal nations listening about the importance of autism services in Indian country? I think, Crystal, one thing that's so important to me is just understanding how we got here in the Chickasaw Nation, and it's always been an important topic for us, but we didn't maybe know the best ways to reach those in our community uh, in the most collaborative ways. And over time, it's just become clearer and clearer through our people speaking to us about what they need and how we can help them. And so we're so excited that after years of listening and after years of our governor elevating the importance of mental health services, along with his top priorities for high quality healthcare in the Chickasaw Nation, that we are now able to not only have high quality, collaborative and 
comprehensive mental health care services, but we're actually able to move into the developmental space a little bit more. And the amazing complement of it has been Dr. Boyd's program. And then the other things that have happened over the past year, really, it has started so fast. Uh, and I can't believe that after 12 months of just beginning the conversation even more formally, what has been able to happen just by bringing the conversation more. And so when you ask about what other tribes could do, I think starting the conversation and making it out loud in the tribe is so important because when you start asking citizens and community members about the need and you ask providers that work in the healthcare system if they need help with developmental disorders and identification of autism, I believe that all tribes will be overwhelmed like we are at what you hear and the numbers that you're able to identify that back up just how big the need is. Absolutely. You know, you know, Dr. Dial, you know that I am a huge autism advocate. You know that my son is also um, autistic and walking that journey. And I hear from a lot of uh, tribal members and tribal citizens throughout multiple states, um, you know, reaching out, just wanting services, wanting information, needing help, and not really knowing where to go, especially if they're locked into some of those more rural spaces um, that lack, you know, resource and infrastructure and those types of things. It makes it significantly more difficult for them, you know. And so just real quick for the listeners, autism spectrum is a neurodevelopmental disorder. And according to the Centers for Disease and Control and Prevention, uh, most latest research, uh, 2020, they're showing one in 44 children that are autistic. However, research continues to also demonstrate that Native American children are significantly underrepresented and receive fewer resources than white children. You know, also we know, and Dr. Boyd, I'm sure you can chime in whenever, I know that we all know this, that normative data on any of the screening tools and diagnostic tools is lacking in sensitivity to tribal nations and our people. Absolutely. And that's a big part of the space around health equity and trying to move the needle is the way we think and screen for and diagnose autism spectrum disorders and other developmental disabilities hasn't historically taken into account values and cultures in our communities. So I know that some people are trying to move into that space and elevate that conversation as well. And I'm pleased that as we have that conversation here at the Chickasaw Nation, we've been able to keep that in mind um, really in terms of the way, as Dr. Dial described, we're looking at this all the way around. We're all collaborating together on this, and that includes our families and our communities' voices to hear what's important to them and what's meaningful to them. Because at the end of the day, that's what matters, is finding a way to help um, our families and our communities feel strong together in a way that everyone has a place there. That's fantastic. While I have you still talking, Dr. Boyd, can you just tell us just a tiny bit more about the program that you mentioned, just kind of how it's functioning and how, how what's the goal? Absolutely. So Hafanti Chokma is not so much a program as an approach where a lot of our child-serving services work together. We come together regularly to talk about what we're hearing from families, um, to celebrate successes, to identify needs, and just come come to the table and think about who can help with this. Um, so we 
we bring to the table some evidence-based practices and resources that we have access to because of, of a specialty, for example, in child psychology or um, with Dr. Dial's programs in integrated medicine or integrated care where we integrate behavioral health into those settings, then we're able to do things like develop a screening program where we're better able to quickly identify developmental concerns, including those that might signal autism spectrum disorder, and provide in-clinic supports to families in addition to linking them to other services they might need. So it's really a, a resource and connector kind of program. We do other programs for parents, um, supporting them with adopting some positive parenting practices that we know are really beneficial with our child care centers and schools with evidence-based practices as well. Um, but at every point, the community speaks into what practices are most valuable for them. And we all try to do that together. That sounds fabulous. You know, a lot of the programs that are run in more of the Western cultures really fail to listen to the community and think outside of the traditional four walls. And, you know, when I look at some of our tribal nation programs, you know, they're structured so differently because it speaks to the heart of the community. And so that's fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. And I was going to say too, that when you guys, you have more experience with this than me, than me, uh, it seems to me that in tribal healthcare systems that maybe, and in, in maybe the urban and federal systems too, that really we get kind of narrow focused on primary care. We're providing basic dental, basic primary care. If you need any specialty service, you usually have to be referred out. And so what I think that has been so unique is that some of the things that Dr. Boyd talked about really is just listening to the community, linking them to the resources we're aware of, but actually into the pediatric clinics where we have children coming by the thousands every year in tribal and federal Indian healthcare facilities, that just minor tweaks and processes in education to providers and education to families early on in very critical critical windows is a really small change that you can make that has an enormous difference on the future of a child and family's life. And through Dr. Boyd's implementation of healthy steps and the building of comprehensive screening and assessment for children in critical ages and critical windows of their lives, just that step alone has been transforming and has brought us evidence-based ways of identifying children. And then through that opening up the door to, now that we've identified some children, can we kind of think outside the box of what tribal and federal Indian healthcare systems normally do? And can we specialize or can we move this family into the next level of care without having them have to jump through numerous hoops to get that care and specialized care that they need. And I'm afraid, I don't know what the rest of you think, I'm afraid that when you talk about autism services in tribal and federal Indian healthcare systems, that really people think that's kind of a specialty disorder. We really just provide the basics here. And so I would be interested in other of you, other of your perspective uh, as utilizers in Indian healthcare and with your own children. Um, what do you think? Is that is that similar to what you think that they tend to focus on just basic primary um, and that the Chickasaw Nation is a little bit different now that we're able to kind of expand and think outside the box? I can speak from my from my own experiences and you know 
Yes. So my son could not access, when we first moved to Oklahoma, could not access um, anything above the primary, right, through Indian Health Services. When we first moved here, waiting for private insurance to kick in uh, through new employment. And, you know, I talked to a number of grandparents and aunts and uncles and, and parents about this very thing. If they don't have coverage for whatever the services that um, would help their child thrive, then they default to Indian Health Clinics and clinic systems. And sometimes we just have a lot of opportunity. And I think that we've had a lot of meaningful conversations. I know that I've talked to previous IHS um, federal individuals and had some really great um, conversations about priorities and kind of seeing the need. You know, I talk to a lot of people and they say, is autism just growing? Is it just, you know, coming out of left field? And no, it's not. Um, it's not coming out of left field. It's, it's, it's been around. It's just probably been misdiagnosed, misclassified, ignored, um, you know, boarded in somewhere in an ER somewhere. Um, but we're seeing a lot of families in crisis, and we're seeing families that can have an absolutely thriving future if they just had the right supports at the right time. I just want to say Chickasaw Nation to the second piece of your question. Chickasaw Nation, in my personal experience, you know, as a colleague, as, um, you know, somebody who's helping a family navigate through the autism journey and and access to services, even when it wasn't your tribal member or tribal citizen, you guys stepped up to the plate. So you guys are doing phenomenal things. That's really wonderful to hear. And I was just going to chime in a little bit on um, this conversation because I think that the journey that we've been on together highlights something really important. Uh, We mentioned community and family voice earlier, and I really think that when we help families understand that they're welcome at the table and that we want to hear from them, they can help us as a health system or as any kind of programming and services be responsive to their needs. Um, And that's been a really beautiful part of the journey. As we introduce developmental screenings, we see parents understand more when to ask for help or or what might be needed, and then they can bring that to our attention and they become shapers of the services alongside us, uh, which is really a wonderful thing. And if I think about it, the way that our communities have been successful over time is by shaping them together. So I love that that's been a huge part of this journey. You know, tonight I'm going as a presenter, as a mom, uh, to talk about the growing crisis for caregivers and the stress and strain and all of the things that are going on, uh, physical health, mental health, those types of things. And so I'm just curious, you know, you mentioned families wrapping them in, pulling a seat up at the table and meeting them where they are. So one of the things that caregivers that we don't do well is we don't seek our own help, um, you know, because we are always hyper-focused on, you know, getting whatever it is for our children and kind of navigating through and, and doing that. So you know, tonight I'm going to present one of these things and I might throw it out here too. So when you have those caregivers, maybe you should screen them too for mental health because they're not going to go to their own appointments. They don't have time. I have good news for you, Crystal. We do include that. (laughs) So, (laughs) because we understand that it's about the whole family, right? It's it's about our relationships with each other, and that's where Dr. Dial's team, we, we could never have felt comfortable 
started trying to do the extra levels of screenings that we've added on. We screenings were already happening, but we came in and we enhanced it um, for more developmental concerns and family needs. But we're only able to do that because Dr. Dial's team is there ready to offer supports as soon as those needs are identified so that, you know, we also want parents to feel comfortable that not just when they say, hey, I've got this concern about my kid, but when they tell us, you know what, we don't know, we don't know where next, where food is coming from um, in the next couple of weeks, or you know what, my mood has really been off and not good. Dr. Dial's team is there right then to support and be with them on their journey until they feel stronger again. And as you say that, Dr. Boyd, what comes to mind is that we had tribal leadership that was willing to think outside of the box and move to a non-traditional mental health service delivery system in our Department of Health clinics and sites. And so the medical family therapy team was birthed out of our governor probably five or six years before integrated care really became a thing, having the foresight and wisdom to know that we needed it. And as we began to move away from a traditional behavioral health model in our, our healthcare locations and move towards putting therapists embedded with clinics and with pediatricians and doctors and women's health providers in the emergency room, we began having conversations and care about care coordination and collaboration that we've never had before. And so now when a child uh, comes in for a newborn visit, we're also able to check on postpartum depression and we have the clinician able to help with the postpartum depression. We have the clinician able to help with the child's visits and the uh, identified concerns with the pediatrician. And truly it is because our tribal leadership allowed us, invested in us and had the wisdom to know that what was coming uh, down the pipeline as a best practice is something we should start before it's a best practice, like before anybody else is doing it. And so, uh, we've been able to, through starting Integrated Behavioral Health eight years ago now, uh, been able just to mentor other tribes and grow our system in a way that prepares us for new projects like Dr. Boyd's, like the grant we're going to talk a little bit more about today. Integrated care and integrated behavioral health has been this, the foundation to multiple projects taking off successfully within the Chickasaw Nation. And we only, only, we... Besides God, Governor Anna Tubby truly is owed all dedication to allowing that to happen for us. The Health Resources and Services Administration, which we call HRSA, released a funding opportunity during COVID that was unique, unfortunately, in that it was the first time that tribes were allowed to apply for the funding opportunity. It had been a project that had been withstanding the Pediatric Mental Health Care Access Program, which we called PM PMHCA. Tribes had never been allowed to apply because of how the funding rules were written, but because the notice of award this time was going to be funded by COVID dollars, they, air quotes here, had to open it up to everybody being eligible applicants, which then allowed tribal applicants to be able to apply. The unique thing, however, is that the NOFA wasn't changed in time to have any inclusive tribal language. And so a program that was normally meant for states and large territories, we had to apply 
to what we felt we could do in a tribal healthcare system. And oh, by the way, we needed to write it within two weeks. And oh, by the way, it required a tribal match of 20%. And so all of those doors opened and through amazing timing, through Dr. Boyd saving us and helping me shape this narrative. I had never written anything like this in my life. I had only known that autism was a big need here. And I thought I understood how our integrated behavioral health teams could, could make it happen. And lo and behold, we were funded. And it was a five-year project for around probably 2.5 million, which has later been expanded. And it allowed us the opportunity to solely focus on the providers in our system and expanding their education, their competency, their confidence and consultation opportunities to be able to help children with mental health and developmental needs. And because at the time of writing the project, we knew how bad we needed to focus on autism, HRSA allowed us in the project to kind of be like a 60-40 split and allow our focus in our implementation to be heavy on autism. And so pair that with Dr. Boyd's implementation through her work um, in Healthy Steps. And here we are a year and a half later, and this grant funding for us has been truly transforming. And HRSA, uh, I believe, is seeing the fruits of our labor and has asked us also to be, in, be engaged in helping other tribes feel encouraged to apply for this opportunity. And so that is our opportunity. We call it the Chickasaw Nation Pediatric Collaborative or the CNPC. And we are just over a year into our implementation starting year two. Talk about changing systems, right? Like kudos. I mean, I'm so happy for you all and I'm happy for the people that you're going to change uh, their lives and their trajectory for in your tribes. Um, so fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. So in the totality of all the things that you're doing and that you've discussed today, what barriers or hurdles did you face in setting up autism services and developmental disability services and projects? And how did you overcome them? I would love to talk about that. So I think that uh, we've really been blessed that although things aren't always smooth sailing, so far, um, whatever we've come up against has been manageable because we have such a great group of, of folks and such supportive leadership that when something has come up, we've been able to work through it. So I think that, you know, one of the barriers or hurdles or challenges I mentioned already is that when you start trying to enhance screening for any kind of concern in kiddos in their family members just in the family unit overall that can be really nerve-wracking for providers who are there to help not to learn about something and not be able to do something about it uh, so really being clear on what are the resources and capacities to address any kind of issues that we might uncover how do we make sure and serve folks and we're in a rural area so in a lot of ways services are few and far between they're very hard to come by resources to get to services are hard to come by so that takes um, a kind of persistence and I think also some patience to know that we're going to come up against challenges that we aren't comfortable with but we're going to persist until we find solutions uh, which is a lot of what's happened is 
just trying to take the next right step between this project, between the work with the pediatric collaborative, all of the work our pediatric clinics are doing is trying to see clearly the path ahead of us and do the next right thing and trust that then we'll have the opportunity to go further with the next right thing after that. That's wonderful. Dr. Dial? So I'm sure that this isn't a surprise, but for us, the the barrier has been that internally we can create screening and identification processes and educate our providers on how do you detect uh, what needs to be detected, how do you find uh, the developmental gaps for a child, how do you diagnose appropriately. But what we have found is that in our first year, we were able to identify lots of families, but we still needed the community agencies to do things like applied behavioral analysis, which is ABA, the gold standard for ABA, um, sorry, autism treatment. And we, through this grant, maybe had opportunities to have more robust insight and process and education and training opportunities, but we still needed the service providers. And if you've ever needed to locate an ABA provider, I'm sure, Crystal, you can tell, speak to this. If you've ever needed to locate an ABA provider with availability in rural Oklahoma, good luck. And so we began seeing lots of families that we had diagnosed, created the processes where everybody was in agreement a child had autism, but the actual treatment that is usually 10, 20, 30, 40 hours a week, we still needed that piece. Some of that gap was filled through our grant in that we were able to contract uh, with a board certified behavioral an analyst who performs the ABA treatment, but it was still gonna be telehealth and through an amazing partner, Firefly Autism out of Colorado, they allotted us a staff member who normally doesn't do this kind of work, but because of their mission in helping marginalized populations seek access to care for autistic patients, they have been able to meet one-on-one -on -one with our families determine if there's any behavioral modifications or parent coaching they can do via telehealth, do some observations of the child and the family together, and help streamline exactly and identify exactly what that treatment is that we're going to need. So they've been able to help us see that not all kids need to go to ABA. We can actually use some of the therapies we have internally and some of the coaching opportunities and parent teaching opportunities through Firefly to get at least halfway there sometimes, if not all the way there. And so really now the children that we need to refer to ABA, that it's just absolutely life, life altering. We need, we, we have to have that treatment. We've really been able to reduce that down to a really small number because we've been able through the coaching and mentorship and training of Firefly Autism, been able to meet the need. And so, Ironically, at the same time um, that this grant has been implemented and we've been looking for ABA clinics to partner with, finding that everybody had a wait list, when I say things and opportunities started falling out of the sky when we began having these conversations, one of those is that in November or December, 
a gentleman from an organization called called Kids Choice came to the Chickasaw Nation Department of Pediatrics and he said, I don't know if you guys need any assistance, but we're opening an ABA clinic here in Ada in January. Ada is the, the main campus of our Chickasaw Nation healthcare system. He said, we have a lot of slots for a variety of services, ABA, occupational therapy, speech therapy. Do you guys need to refer some kids? And we're like, do we need to refer some kids? Yes. We've been looking for all of those services. Um, and I know, and I'm telling you the divine match that when he walked in the door, the Firefly list, we call the Firefly families, the Firefly family list was ready. We knew exactly what kids needed to be referred. We knew who was in the, the, the most severe need. We were able to probably within about a week's time send him 30 families that they could start begin doing the finances, the evaluations, the paperwork gathering so that they could go live with these families in January. And when we told them how big our need was and that we actually really, really need them as a partner, they actually doubled the square footage of the building they're renting after a conversation with us. And that's so we amazing. got some It is so awesome. Right? I and mean, that's amazing. Put it, it into is. the universe. It is. And um, that happens to be owned by somebody who's local to Ada that felt the same calling. And so we were able to visit the clinic last week, Kids Choice, and see all that they're doing there. It is so adorable and so amazing. They're all amazingly informed. They have three or four clinics around rural Oklahoma. They're just wonderful. And that, I'm telling you, because we started having the conversations, because we have this grant, because we had opportunities to consult with Firefly, and everything, you guys, has really just just worked out and I don't want to jinx it, but I can just say that I feel like our lives are changed forever. And um, I think that this is attainable for everybody. Um, and what we have found, not only through Firefly and through Kids Choice, I think you would agree, Dr. Boyd, is that when we've partnered with the universities in Oklahoma, in Oklahoma on our project, OSU and OU are ecstatic to partner on this. They have multiple training and consultation opportunities, and we never even knew they existed, and they didn't know we needed it. And um, so the conversations with the universities in Oklahoma that have opened up as a result of these partnerships that we've been able to support through this grant, we have opportunities to expand even further with multidisciplinary teams being able to assess and diagnose our kids. And we're so excited. Absolutely. I I agree a thousand percent and I hope we aren't jinxing it. Um, but it's, you know, you give all the examples of you do one, you do the next right thing and trust that the path will open up for an opportunity for the next right thing. And I think something that I want to say is, you know, we're talking about some really grand things that have happened and they are powerful and they are life changing um, for, for individuals, for families, for us as professionals, for our system. And I worry that in talking about it that way, it might sound unattainable. And I want to reemphasize what Dr. Dial said, that, that it is attainable. Yes, yes, there are resources behind this, and we are so blessed um, to be able to marshal some resources behind this. The magic, though, has come with really connecting and being collaborative and trying to find 
find what those resources are. Find the other people who want to do this work and figure out what they bring because I I don't know this a hundred percent but I am very I'm pretty confident that anyone we've asked to come to the table and be a part of improving what we're doing or bringing in more services has said yes. Um, so the will is out there. It's just a matter of tapping into it and, and working through it in a really collaborative um, and persistent kind of way. That's, that's amazing and so good to hear because um, I'm one of those people that I want to plant the seed and see the tree tomorrow you know, and, and to know like what y'all have been through, it just really gives me hope because that's where we are here is with starting the conversations and having the trainings. And so it's just amazing to see what this could potentially grow into. You guys are doing outstanding, outstanding things to change lives. So, you know, you've talked a little bit about how you're changing the system, how many things are attainable, and it just takes being open and, and wanting and being willing. And so, I'm wondering, what do you think this impact of all the things you're describing, what does that have on future generations in Chickasaw Nation? So this may sound dreamy, but I really do believe that the the impact is that we're moving toward having generations of people with autism who who now have success in their families and in their communities and our communities are also going to be stronger because we learn those gifts and the range of talents that come to the table. Um, when you have someone who's neurodivergent or someone with autism, I just think that we're going to see more wholeness in our families and our communities as a result of this. I additionally think about the, training pipeline. Uh, I think that's a, a terminology that Dr. Boyd ta taught me. But through our grant program, we're training the residents in our healthcare system, which are young doctors that most likely are going to work uh, in a tribal healthcare sitting, setting. We're training the pediatricians in our system, which is 17 to 20 doctors, in assessment, diagnostics, and treatment in ways they haven't been trained before because they all just got brief overviews in school. And so I think for us, what is such a blessing is that the investment in the minds of the providers serving these populations, just doing that and putting it on their radar and giving them the tools to be able to identify early, have resources to help these families is something that allows a family the early diagnosis, the early intervention. And as we've met families with older children that are 16, 17, 18, and they're like, where have you been all of our lives? You know? And um, when we think about what the tribe's willingness to invest in this topic, in this program, in this grant, in this time of our lives of being able to focus on this, it truly is that seven generation impact that providers helping young kids, uh, helping mamas with new babies, those babies that have babies. I think we've started a conversation. We've elevated the importance of developmental diagnosis, appropriate intervention, appropriate treatment in a way that nobody's ever going to be able to default back to not knowing these things. They can't unknow it. 
and through the opportunities through the University of Oklahoma and the developmental behavioral pediatrics team and what they're, what they're teaching weekly, these providers in how to change the way they practice. Because we see families in this system for generation after generation after generation, um, I just cannot help but think a provider having a better informed practice with more tools to help these families that we're going to see forever that we were able to help in critical windows that really mattered. That's outstanding. You know, I can really hear both of you. I can hear your hearts through all the work that you're doing to change lives and give that tomorrow. And, and, oh my gosh, it gives me chills. Um, so thank you for everything you're doing. I'm just curious, you know, Dr. Tyler, you and I, we're social friends. And so I was just curious, do either of you have um, a personal connection to the autism community? Because, you know, a lot of times we go into this work and, and, we drive with such passion when it's so personal um, to us. And so I was just curious, do either one of you guys have that personal connection to the autism community? I, this, I, I don't have a personal connection that I have been able to identify. And what put autism on the radar for me, just as someone that hadn't ever, I, I saw children when I was in practice, I did a lot of play therapy. I was aware of the diagnosis, but had never really in my time and working with the Chickasaw Nation, uh, spent the time to understand the need. What the personal connection was that changed for me was that I was on the other end of a call with a Chickasaw mom with a 10 year old with autism. And she had worked for the tribe for 15, 20 years. And she was calling and saying, do you have anything yet? The only thing that I've been able to find is that my child needs to go to a school that's 25000 a year and nobody can help me. Is there anything you guys have internally that can help? And at that time, I thought, what can we do? And five years later now, um, that mom is on the advisory board for this project, rolling out the services for these families. And truly, she has changed my life and been the inspiration to be an advocate for this for First American children. And I'm just so grateful I was the one on the end of that phone call that day. I'm also grateful every time I get to hear that story, Dr. Dial, because it's such a beautiful, I don't want to say full circle because it the work isn't done, the journey isn't over, but it's such a beautiful example of how small moments have big impacts. Um, for me, a personal connection, um, and, and I have a few in different ways, but, but the one that's longest lasting is I have a cousin who's older than I am, who was, um, he's autistic, and he was born at a time when his family was told that their only option was to put him in an, in an institution. Um, and they visited as often as they could, at least weekly, if not more than that, despite the, the cost and the travel time and all of that. And even, even at that, his parents you can always see felt his absence his sisters felt the the absence of having their brother grow up with them um, so that that really influences and impacts me because we're all better when we can stay together and when we can all be successful together absolutely you know I hear those same calls like Dr. Dial described and it's excruciating because I feel you know as as many resources as I have access to and as, as much as I think I know, it's just 
you know, heartbreaking when there's wall after wall, barrier after barrier, gap after gap. And so the work that you guys have described and just the momentum that you've built, you guys are change makers. And thank you. say if you live within the Chickasaw Nation territory, come visit our pediatrics department and talk with the pediatricians about the needs that your family has. Secondly, I would say if you're not within the Chickasaw Nation, that your voice as a tribal citizen matters immensely. And so if autism services and an autism focus is something that you feel would change your life as a tribal family, I would really encourage you to use the appropriate channels within your tribe to advocate for those services. The financial resources and grant opportunities available to tribes, especially what I've been hearing from HRSA about their willingness and desire to expand these funding opportunities to tribes is only going to increase. And so I believe now that families, just as the mom talking to me put it on my radar, The families that are out there, you guys need to be the voice that inspires the systems, inspires the leadership, inspires the funding agencies to roll out all the opportunities that are going to bring you these services. And I think also I would just say that you may think that your situation is unique, but literally as we have begun talking about autism here from the employees that work here on our own team, employees on our grant team, employees on our finance team, employees that we talk to in pediatrics, everybody has a family that they know could benefit from these stories. And so uh, from these services, I can only say that the collective effort and the collective voice truly makes a difference. So please share your family's experiences and advocate and advocate and advocate at your tribal level for these services to be added to your healthcare system's uh, plan of care. I also think from a, you know, day in, day out, trudging along this road of trying to find what your child needs and get to it in a way that um, that is manageable, even for a family, that that's a lot and it can be discouraging. Also, as Dr. Dial said, we hear a lot of stories and we've heard so many stories of families finding those points and making it. And some things that come up consistently are finding some support. Uh, So looking on the Autism Speaks website, for example, to find a support group, even if you have to join one virtually with, with people in other parts of the country, that can be really helpful. And I think also important is to to not give up telling that story and reaching out for help. It may take talking to a lot of people before you get to the person who can help you open some doors. Um, But if you continue having those conversations, you're going to find somebody that connects with you, just like Dr. Dial still carries around the mom she talked to on the phone, right? That, and has done so much work now, not just on behalf of that family, but on many other families. So all of those, those smaller actions connect to that collective impact that Dr. Dial is talking about um, so that eventually it does get easier. I wanted to also say Shauna and Dr. Boyd and Dr. Hernandez, you guys might know how to advise better, but um, 
I think writing a grant about autism services requires almost some pre-planning of having the appropriate writers and knowledge knowledge havers around you um, so that when a funding opportunity arrives for a tribal funded project in developmental or mental health pediatric you know programming that the tribe knows who they can rely on to help them with that funding opportunity because i feel like it was so overwhelming if i didn't have dr boyd just cheerleading me through even and just helping me get into the the mindset her as a child psychologist it just helps so much to create the team that is going to help you get these opportunities and i would say that in our tribe because we've gotten this opportunity we've been able to highlight the services we need we've been able to gather data on the families that we're seeing we're able to summarize what kinds of things we're doing for them and we're able to paint a picture for the tribe of how much we may need to sustain these services once the grant ends and so because a grant can be the launching point for a tribe to open up this new conversation and window i think a little prep of surrounding yourself with the experts or those with knowledge uh, that can speak into this topic from a professional perspective through a grant writing application is really important. That's a really, really good point. Um, you know, we we know on our side of things that oftentimes grant opportunities drop and there's a very short turnaround time. You may not even know that this one was going to come open. And I do think that w it was to our benefit that, you know, when the PMHCA grant came open, Dr. Dial and I already knew each other well. We'd been working on things together. We had l done other autism services proposals together. And I think that that time you spend doing that is really good for your own education, but also good to, to see what the vision is. Um, and then when something comes along and you have to work quickly, you're in a better place to be able to, to shape your vision to meet whatever those requirements are, but it also means you're not being pulled along by somebody else's vision, right? So just because a grant opportunity is out there doesn't mean it will do what you want it to do. So I think having that clear vision and yes, all those people that that have good knowledge and good skills to use the right words or um, follow the rules of writing a grant application and things like that, it's just good to be prepared and start building your team whenever you can start. With the tribal leadership that we have, I feel like the world is our oyster. Um, again, as I said, through this grant funding, we are able to begin writing proposals of sustainability plans and having good quality data to be able to justify these services and paint the picture of how many families that we can help. So our tribal leadership is always open to our ideas and we're going to take advantage of that by definitely advocating for this uh, developmental focus and expanded opportunities with consultants in our state to stick around for a long time. That's hard. That's hard to top. Um, but I'd say that my future plans are the same. We know that uh, really we're we're just developing more capacity and more sophistication to be able to tell families' stories. Uh, through data and through um, through tracking outcomes, and I think that that sets us up to 
over time continue to evolve in ways that meet family needs and support children in being successful in better and better ways. So I hope to get to keep doing that for a really long time. Well, I hope both of you get to keep doing that for a really long time. It is outstanding to have you both on and hear all of the wonderful things that Chickasaw Nation is doing in the space of autism and developmental disabilities, as well as many other things um, you've talked about throughout this podcast. I know, you know, I look up to you all in, in terms of what you're doing for your people. And every time I brag, because no matter what it is, no matter where it is, you're always there to help. You're always there to listen. And I am so, so happy to have you all in the world. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Our nation is strong because we know who we are and continue to keep our culture, language, and traditions alive. Governor Bill Anotubby, Chickasaw Nation. There is great honor and power in creating meaningful systems within Indian country to serve our most vulnerable and lift up those with beautiful gifts in culturally rooted ways. We celebrate April as Autism Acceptance and Awareness Month. It is with such joy that I see our tribal nations making massive strides in building infrastructure to support autistic tribal citizens and issue proclamations and standing in alliance with the autism community. I ask those listening to consider making these same proclamations and commitments within your own tribal nation. We are stronger together and unbreakable when we align our hearts and minds in service. We want to thank our listeners and hope that you'll continue to listen, subscribe, share, and provide readings and reviews. Also follow us on Twitter at BlackFeathersPod. You can get resources and information about this podcast at BlackFeathers.org. Thank you to Cherokee National Treasure, Tommy Wildcat for the use of your flute music on this podcast. I want to thank Lucas Frazier and the boys for letting us use their drumming music. Tell us about your journey with disability and guide us on future episodes of Black Feathers by visiting blackfeathers.org and answering a few short questions at the bottom of that page. Please subscribe to Black Feathers Podcast. You can find us wherever podcasts are found. We would love to hear from you. 